Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. In the long and exhausting battle against COVID-19, this was a big week for our area. Because of the dramatic decline in our COVID numbers, effective Monday, March 7th, the statewide school mask mandate will be lifted. Additionally, we will lift the statewide mandate in all child care settings. New Jersey's Phil Murphy was the first of the tri-state governors to lift mask restrictions, rules that had become a lightning rod of pandemic debate. I'm happy because like everyone's like in my school, like most people are vaccinated in my grade and my age, and they separated us by grade, and most of my grade already had COVID. This week on 880 In-Depth, we sit down with New Jersey's health commissioner on where to next in the pandemic. We have to look at what we know about viruses. We have to every day learn more about COVID-19, and we do learn something new every day. And we have to be prepared for surges and variants, but we also have to live our lives. And as we hopefully begin to climb out of the pandemic, Judith Persichelli looks at how things could have been done differently. The messaging overall, internationally, nationally, and even in our own state, has, some, has caused some confusion. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Steve Scott. Judith Persichelli famously signed on as New Jersey's health commissioner in the summer before COVID arrived. It has been her single focus for the past two plus years. With New Jersey among the states feeling comfortable enough to lift the mask mandate, we sat down with the New Jersey health commissioner to hear why now. Reporter Peter Haskell spoke to the commissioner this week. Well, as we see uh, our cases decrease and the disease progression seem to slow down pretty substantially, you know, we have to start asking ourselves the question, what is our new normal going to look like? And when we balance the risks of children uh, continuing to go to school with some of them really struggling with having masks on, not being able to see the facial expressions of not only their teachers, but of their of their peers, of the of their friends in, in, in class versus the risk that uh, we believe is present, particularly in New Jersey right now. We felt by the first week in March would be a, a really good time if things continue to improve uh, to see how, how children do without masks in school and to try to introduce the new normal, if I can use that term, uh, introduce the new normal into their lives. 
Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's a risk-benefit um, uh, equation, as with um, everything, as we've uh, dealt with this uh, virus. Um, but we believe that the benefits of children uh, starting to, to see some normalcy far outweigh the risk. Frankly, that is an argument that's been made by folks opposed to mask mandates for months. So take us through this process over the period of time that it's taken to reach the point where we are now. The, uh, what, what we've been doing to reach the point yes, where we exactly. are Yes, exactly. How did you yeah. come this, to this decision? Well, let's, you know, I like to say, and we kind of forget this, like as Mark Twain said, uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Uh, as we look at what's happened in the past, and I would have to say that the, um, the uh, pandemic, the influenza pandemic of 1918, is certainly some things that we, there's some things that we can learn from that pandemic. And what we learned is that it was not just the pandemic of 1918. Uh, it didn't end in 1919. And in fact, a new variant emerged um, in 1920, which became like the fourth wave. And, and what we learned from 1918 is that the, the uh, population had to uh, look at um, mitigation techniques being outside, as you recall, they moved people outside with good ventilation, putting people outside, social distancing, um, and you know something we have now that they didn't have, vaccinations, but those basic um, public health layered prevention strategies worked in 1918. So you bring all of that forward now to 2022 and uh, our great pandemic that is lasting as long. And we do expect we're going to be we're going to see surges, and then we're going to see things calm down, and then we might see surges again. But what we have that we didn't have back in in uh, 1918 is you know three effective vaccines that will help to decrease severe um, disease, hospitalization, and death, and that will help us get to operationalizing all of our public health activities into our everyday lives and start continuing to our new normal. So we have to look at history. We have to look at what we know about viruses. We have to every day learn more about COVID-19 and we do learn something new every day. And we have to be prepared for surges and variants, but we also have to live our lives. You've, you've used the, the term new normal a few times already. How do you define that? What do you think the new normal looks like? Well, I hope that the new normal incorporates everything we've learned about basic good public health. And one is taking better care of ourselves, making sure that we wash our hands frequently, um, staying home if we're sick. Uh, making sure we call our health care providers um, if, if we are sick enough that we need uh, some follow-up, um, making sure that we cough and remember coughing into the, uh, the, your arm, um, and maybe not as much uh, shaking of hands 
um, as a uh, courtesy when we when we see people and we greet and meet people. It's really thinking about public health and protecting yourself and others every single day. And hopefully part of that will be mask wearing if you're not feeling well. Case counts have dropped dramatically over the past month. How long do you think it's going to be until the pandemic is over? Well, I wish I could answer that question. Um, I'd, I'd probably make a lot of money, right? Because everyone's asking uh, that question. Um, I think it's never going to be to zero. I think we will get to a point of endemicity um, where it becomes endemic and we live with uh, COVID like we've learned to live with flu and its variants over time. I think we'll learn to live with it. Uh, and we'll learn to live with it well if we don't forget the lessons learned from the worst of this pandemic. And that's better public health strategies. Some of this can be confusing for, for people, even with the best of intentions. For so long, we've heard about the importance of wearing a mask, and now we hear, eh, it's your choice. So how should someone evaluate their risk and figure out how to make the best decisions for themselves? That's a great uh, question. And one of the things uh, we talk about here at the Department of Health is how we encourage people to take accountability for themselves and their loved ones. And that it's more an issue of respect than anything else. When I wear a mask, for instance, I am saying I'm protecting you from me source control. I'm protecting you from me. I respect you enough that if I'm not feeling well, I'm going to put a mask on. Or if I feel that I've been exposed to someone not feeling well, I'm going to put a mask on because I respect you enough that I'm going to protect you from me. And that accountability is, I think, an accountability that we have to take for each other uh, so we can live peacefully in uh, civilization. But there's a segment of the population that's really been following the, the mass guidelines very strictly. And so they hear what's happening now and they wonder, should I wear a mask when I go out? Do I need to wear a mask when I go out? How do I determine if and when to wear a mask? I like to tell people to go to our website and look at what we call the Cali score. The Cali score is something that we've been publishing since the beginning of the pandemic. It's the Coronavirus Activity Level Index, and it breaks the state into six regions, Northeast, Northwest, Central East, Central West, Southeast, Southwest. And by color, it will show you how risky your region is. So if it's low risk, it's going to be green. So you can go out without a mask. If it's a moderate risk, it's going to be yellow. And you might, if you're not feeling well, you might say, well, like I said, out of respect for everyone around me, I'm going to wear a mask because maybe you're not feeling well and there's moderate disease progression in your uh, region. If it's orange, which means that people are showing up in our emergency rooms with what we call COVID-like illness, uh, at higher levels. That means that the positivity in the cases for 100,000 
are higher than, than we would like, you might consider wearing a mask when you go to church, an indoor space where you're not sure of the people around you, their vaccination status, or whether they're feeling well or not, or that you're not sure of the ventilation because you're going indoors. So if you're an orange, you might say, I think it's time for me to wear a mask because I'm going to go to a concert tonight. And I don't know who all those people are. If I'm not feeling well and it's in an area of higher risk, I'm going to wear a mask. And then if it's red, I would say you would want to pay very close attention to mask wearing indoors and maybe outdoors and particularly in crowded spaces. I hate to say it, but it sounds confusing still. I think that um, all that has happened with this virus over time and how it has changed and how we are dealing with surges and variants uh, that almost seemingly come out of the blue, it is confusing. There is no doubt that the messaging has been confusing. And that's why we have to start internalizing layered prevention strategies into our everyday lives and start making decisions for ourselves when we don't feel well, when we're with individuals in, again, spaces where we're not sure about their vaccination. It's also a reason why we should get vaccinated and boosted so that everybody has a high level of protection. But I cannot disagree with you. The messaging overall, internationally, nationally, and even in our own state, has, some, has caused some confusion. And Persa Kelly admits that confusion in messaging has helped contribute to the great partisan divide we see in America today over public health. From your perspective, how did we reach this point where partisanship has become so wrapped up in public health? Well, it's sad to say that it's wrapped up in public health as far as I'm concerned because uh, public health transcends um, a, a, a political party. It transcends uh, race, ethnicity. Um, it has nothing to do with anything other than every person deserves the best chance to be healthy and to, to live a long and safe life. That's our goal here at, at the department. So we try to stay away from that. How did it get to this point? I really can't answer that because vaccines have been a way of life for every single one of us. There are about 20 vaccines that are required. There are vaccines that are required for you to be able to work in a hospital. You must get a flu vaccine every year. There's vaccines that are required up to your age, up to age two, which is pretty frequent, so that you can live a long, healthy life. So we have vaccines as part of our life. For some of us, we remember lining up in school to get the polio vaccine. There was never a question about it because polio was striking individuals 
and putting them, paralyzing them and putting them in iron lungs. So vaccines are a part of our life. Why it has become such a firestorm, I, I don't understand. I can just say that here at the department, we just want to make sure everyone has the information they need, they need uh, to, um, the information that they need to make the best decisions for themselves. You brought up variants earlier. We've seen that Omicron has waned. How concerned are you about a new variant? I am concerned. I think that this virus has shown that uh, it likes to mutate and change. Uh, Even though we are one of the most vaccinated states, we need to get our booster rates up to keep the immune um, protection up in uh, all of our, uh, as many residents as possible, because this virus seeks out unvaccinated individuals, enters the body, mutates, and turns around and affects other people. So a vaccination is certainly, and boosting, is certainly a way to uh, stop variants from occurring. I also know that we're on alert for variants. Our uh, laboratories throughout the state and again nationally and internationally uh, know what to look for in sequencing specimens so that they're picking up on variants much more quickly than we did in the very beginning. You may recall there were no tests to detect SARS-CoV-2 when this pandemic broke out in the United States. In fact, we were not, we were not approved here in our own public health lab to perform the sequencing tests, PCR tests, till March 17th of 2020. And we had our first case on March 4th of 2020. But we, we, have, we have moved past all of that. We can test for the variants. We can see them coming. We can prepare. We have a great degree of collaboration between our local public health uh, departments and offices, uh, emergency, Office of Emergency Medicine, the state police, the Department of Health, all of our healthcare providers. We can be prepared in 24 hours to meet and prevent the spread of disease of any variant that comes up. With the benefit of hindsight, what do you think the state could have done better? That's a, that's an, a really good question and an interesting question and certainly something that it's a question we have on our list for when we can actually take time to take more deep breaths and do a really deep dive into how we responded um, early on. Uh, I keep trying to remind everyone here as we at times get a little discouraged and weary that when we had our first case, March 4th of 2020, there was so much we did not know about this virus. For example, we did not know about asymptomatic spread. In most cases, a virus is most contagious when you're showing symptoms. We did not know that two to three days before you show symptoms, you could be as contagious. We did not know exactly what this, what this virus 
was and how it got into humans, it was a novel virus, never before seen in humans. So we were responding pretty aggressively to the symptoms we were seeing, the number of people we were uh, see get sick, the number of people being um, admitted to our hospitals, the number of people in intensive care and those that unfortunately had to have ventilators and terribly uh, died from uh, uh, COVID. And we didn't have any vaccines. So what could we have done better? Um, I believe that um, at this point in time, uh, we really have to go deep into our understanding, our prior understanding of um, viruses and what works best to keep them under control, uh, generally and specifically for COVID. Um, we did, we put in all of the mitigation activities that had worked in the past, and this virus kept on eluding the immunity that was built up over time in individuals and unfortunately became the, the third largest uh, reason for death in New Jersey. Should there have been better decisions made in regards to nursing homes? Better decisions for what, Peter? In regards to nursing homes. Uh, nursing homes. That, nursing homes, obviously, it's one of the areas we're going to put under a really strict microscope. Um, as you know, uh, nursing homes got hit hard. They got hit uh, very quickly um, after New York got hit, we got hit. Uh, nursing homes, the resiliency, I think, was not as strong as we had thought. We had given them pretty strict guidelines in how to protect uh, their residents. And what we didn't realize is the virus was coming into nursing homes by asymptomatic spread healthcare workers and visitors. And by the time that caught up with us, it was a devastating impact on our nursing homes. So now we know uh, that we need to be more vigilant when there's high disease progression because we know the first place this virus will go will be our nursing homes and our vulnerable elderly. What about this? What is it about this job that currently keeps you up at night? Well, what keeps me up at night is uh, the challenge we have in maintaining our high level of vigilance every single day. So, in addition to all of the other things that the Department of Health does, um, making sure that uh, ch that children that um, uh, have elevated lead levels are taken care of and that we work with lead screenings, uh, that we uh, continue our work with, with maternal morbidity and mortality uh, to try to make New Jersey one of the safest places to have your baby, um, that we continue to focus on substance use disorder and stem uh, deaths uh, from overdoses all of those items that we have to continue uh, looking at and working with in addition now to being hypervigilant about uh, this virus of SARS-CoV-2 and its variants. 
So what keeps me up at night is to make sure that we have a strong public health local infrastructure uh, so that outbreaks can be recognized immediately and that we work here at the department with the local public health, infra- uh, public health officials uh, to control spread so that we never again see uh, the devastating effects of, of SARS-CoV-2. The weight of the pandemic can certainly be seen in the healthcare industry across America today. Doctors, nurses, nurses' aides, all leaving the profession in numbers that are concerning. We wanted to hear what the veteran healthcare administrator, Judy Persichelli, thought about that. What's the state of the healthcare industry right now? Well, you know, I worked uh, for a very long time on the front line. And when I think of what they went through, whether it was uh, uh, an aide in, in a nursing home or a critical care nurse and critical care intensivist doctor in a busy, busy ICU, when I think of what they went through during that first surge, the first thing I say to them is that we owe them a debt of gratitude for the work that they've done. And we should never forget that. We should never forget that they were fighting probably the worst battle we have ever fought, certainly on our land. And as we honor veterans of our past wars, we should honor them repeatedly for the work that they've done. And we should help them, we should support them. We should make sure that they have the mental health services that they need to deal with the PTSD that they have from, for being on the front lines. Now that's number one. Number two, you need to give them the information and the education they need to protect themselves because they are too, too valuable to us to fall ill and unfortunately for some of them to die from this virus. And that's helping them understand what's in the vaccines, why they're safe and effective, how important boosters are, because we cannot afford to have our healthcare frontline workers fall ill repeatedly from SARS-CoV-2. So COVID-19 has really taken a big toll uh, on our uh, healthcare workers. And I can only say that from my perspective, they deserve all the support we can give them but also all the education and information they need to make wise decisions about themselves uh, in terms of their own health. Commissioner, last question for you. You came out of retirement for this job. Do you have any plans to step away? Well, eventually. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not not laughing at the question. Um, You know, um, I'm, I'm not a what they would call spring chicken. Um, I uh, felt uh, that I took this job as commissioner because um, I've spent my whole life in healthcare. It seems I've spent my whole life, majority of my life in healthcare, and I thought it would be a great way to give back to com- the state that I love, that I've lived in my whole life, uh, communities that I have worked in, uh, to. Um, you know, help them in a different way, in a, in a way that brings, again, our mission to life for all, everyone in New Jersey to have, to reach their highest potential and, and have long, healthy lives. Did I expect that a pandemic would hit us? Of course not. 
you know, did I expect that I'd be working, you know, seven days a week, almost 24-7 for two and a half years? Of course not. Um, do I expect that we will hit this new normal and we will go back to very active and good lives, myself included? Yes. And when that occurs, it might be time for me to give this seat up to someone who will have the energy to carry that new normal forward. Do you have any, any idea how long it'll be till you get to that point? I, I don't um, have any... Um, I don't have any indication how long it'll get to that point. I just know that we will. Commissioner, thank you so much for your time as always and your patience. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Peter. It's always enjoyable to talk with you. Eight eighty in depth is a production of WCBS News Radio eight eighty. Peter Haskell and Tim Scheld are the executive producers. Subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss a week. Just look for 880 In-Depth wherever you get your audio. I'm Steve Scott. Thank you for listening. really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 